0: Friends, it wouldn't have been a waste of time for us to spend even more time hearing God's Word, especially to someone who has taken the time to practice that reading and pr- provide it to us in a good, sound and well, uh, under, well-to-understand way. What a blessing. I, I, I do I want to encourage you to bring your Bibles to church, either the, um, the old-fashioned way in one of these things or even in the modern way um, of on your phone. Uh, if you don't have an app on your phone, then I can recommend the U version, Y O U version app. Or um, I personally use Logos, which is harder to set up but better to use in the long run. Uh, but U version is great. Um, but I do want to encourage you to to have um, the scriptures with you because we're we're spending a time in the church service to dive into God's word. Um, And so let me pray as we segue from the reading of God's word to the explaining of God's word. Father, be with us now um, by your spirit that you would enlighten us, help us to see what you intend us to see. Lord, you have spoken through your prophets. Lord, help us to do you the service of listening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A person does not come to Jesus, does not come to Christ because it will make them richer financially. A person doesn't come to Jesus, doesn't come to to Christ, doesn't become a Christian because it will make you healthier. Christians are no healthier or wealthier than anybody else. A Christian will suffer loss, a Christian will suffer rejection, pain and Christians die just like everybody else. The major difference between a Christian and someone who's not a Christian yet is that they call Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of an almost unknown town. They call that man their Lord and Saviour. That's the difference. We give him our crown, uh, that, that crown that we wear that says, me, my kingdom, my kingdom. Uh, my future, my, my agenda, we, uh, we say, actually, we, we lay that at Jesus' feet and say, I want, you to, I want you to rule me now. I want you to show me where to go. We, uh, we walk away from the burning boat of our life and jump on uh, the solid rock that is Jesus. We take the steering wheel of our car, of our life, and we hand it to Jesus and say, you drive, because I'm not doing this well. But that actually can ostracize us from society. It can ostracize us from the world that we live in, and it doesn't make things easier. Why would we do that? Why would we repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? What's the gain? Does faith in Christ give us any advantage in this life? What if it actually makes things harder? What if becoming a Christian makes life harder? I wonder if you've considered that I'm sure you have does Christianity work it's been around for 2000 years the world around us wants us to move on even to rewrite history and say that it was it was of no benefit to us ever which is a lie but it but it wants us to con, be convinced that Christianity was never going to was was never a working program so abandon ship and just just enjoy life. I want you to consider with me what Israel was planning to do. Just consider. We know the story. Um, you know, God appears to Moses, says, go to Pharaoh, say, let my people go. Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. There's plagues that follow and they go. There's the Red Sea. There's been plenty of movies about this event. Uh, so we know the story. We know the end game. But just consider for a second what Israel... The Hebrews, who are living in Egypt, are considering doing. They've been living there for 400 years. You know, the, West, Western, um, yeah, the Western Empire, the, the British Empire in Australia, have, only, have, have barely been here 200. And yet we think this is our home, don't we? Uh, they were living in Egypt for 400 years. They've, their children have had children who have had children. And in, in Genesis 47, at the end of Genesis, verse 27, they were told where exactly in Egypt they settled. It was a town called Goshen, and there they they established themselves. It says they acquired property, and they raised their families. Egypt, uh, Israel were talking about leaving their home, leaving everything that they'd known behind, their walls, their ceiling, their they're microwaves, you know. <laughs> they didn't have microwaves. But they were thinking about doing this to go to where? To a place they've never been to before. None of them have been to the promised land. They've, their fathers and their grandfathers haven't been to the promised land. So what are they craving? What are they looking forward to going to? They're, they they're going to leave the security. I know they're miserable, right? They're slaves. So they want, they want freedom from that. But they're going to leave everything they know in order to do what God has said that they will do. They have they don't even have a photo or a rock carving of the promised land. They weren't missing a place. They weren't craving a place. Maybe, they, maybe they're, they're, they're missing the promise that God has, has passed down from generation to generation. But certainly what's on their minds and hearts is that they're miserable. They're miserable and they cry out to God. And God heard their cry and God came and visited Moses. We looked at this last week. Um, Moses came to them and said, and, and said to the Israelites that God is about to rescue them. God is about to do a, a great thing and they're just, going to, they're just going to walk out of Egypt. That's the plan. They're, they're not going to get up swords and fight the Egyptians. They're just going to get up and they're just going to walk out. That's the plan of God. This is massive. This is really big. Do you, can you see what's happening? They're, they're talking about walking away from everything that they know. And to go into the unknown, they're actually going to walk across a wilderness to get there. They don't even know, once they walk out, they, they, it's just, it's a mystery what's going to happen next. Are they really going to go through this? We're taught to come to Christ because we want to long for heaven. And we haven't seen it. None of us here have seen it. I haven't seen it. We are, we're told to come to Jesus because there's a place that, we, that is better than this house, than this home. Everything we're familiar with here, we need to actually think of it as temporal, that it's all going to go, so that we can be anticipating right now that there's a place way better than this, that we want to leave our familiar and go. And so this, the plan was that Moses was to meet with Israel with the leaders of Israel first and tell them that God has heard their cry. So at the end of chapter 4, we we closed the the sermon last week with this little passage, Moses and Aaron brought together all the, the elders of the Israelites and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people and they believed. And when they heard the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. What a great response. God said to Moses, you're going to go and tell the Israelites. And God said to Moses, they will listen to you. So that's what Moses did and that's what happened. They listened to him. Uh, Israel got excited that God was concerned about them. That's a really important point. Uh, they, they, their response was to worship. Uh, they worship God, not merely because he is God, you know, in Revelation 4.11, we're told that you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory, honour and power because you created all things and by your will they, they exist and have their being. Why do we praise and worship God? Because he's the creator, full stop. Why would you fight that? He own, He made you, he makes us, so let's worship him. That's the response in Revelation 4.11. But that's not why they worship God here. They worship God not not simply that he is... Yahweh, and he's, he's made his, his name known, but that they're told that God heard their cries and he cares about them. That's their response of worship. And friends, this is what we are told as we come to Christ. John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life we come to god not merely because he's our creator but because he's our savior that he loved us that he cares about us that he he values us he values you they are slaves in egypt but they will be freed because god loves them and he cares for them and so they worship so there's the context that's what they're contemplating doing that's what that's what they're planning to do it's a bit scary that's what i want to get across to us all that God is is telling them to do it, but it's not so straightforward. you see them leaving Egypt, us coming to christ it it's 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 a game changer and it it costs a lot. But here's the plan and the plan failed, and this is the next next uh, next point. Chapter five is all about a, a failed plan, perhaps. the plan was simple. go to Pharaoh and say that God has called us. That's the plan. So Moses does. And in, in chapter 5, verse 1, we're told, after, afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. It's a very simple, it's a very short sermon, isn't it? God has met us, so let our people go who's going to argue with that now i don't know uh, i don't know how moses what tone he gave you know whether it was a charlton heston kind of voice that god has met with us and you must let us go or whether he just turned up sort of matter-of-factly you know, a bit, bit more simon twist style It's just like well god's met with us and uh, so you know the next thing on the agenda is that you let us go so that's how the game that's the plan so um, uh, open to your response what do you think pharaoh Uh, Well, Pharaoh doesn't seem to have the same manual, does he? The very next verse is Pharaoh's response. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? Or or more specifically, who is this Yahweh that I should obey him and let Israel go? I don't know, Yahweh, and I will not let Israel go. there's, there's Pharaoh's response. I don't know who Yahweh is. I know Ra. I know Isis. I know the one with the wolf head on it. But I don't know Yahweh. I don't know that one. That's new to me. So they try to, to, to teach Pharaoh the rules. Verse 3. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us go take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or He may strike us with plagues or with the sword. So the lesson is that well, oh, this is um, this is our God, this is the God of the Hebrews, and if we don't go, then there will be uh, consequences. Uh, he might actually run us all in with a plague. Perhaps as they preach to Pharaoh, explain to him who this Yahweh is. Maybe Pharaoh will have some sort of um, uh, may empathise with them and say, "Oh, I get it. Yes, yes. Deities are like that. Yes, I know my gods are, are a bit, a bit uh, mean as well. Uh, so, if that's what your god is like, then let I understand from one worshipper to another. You can, you can do what you like. But Pharaoh sees things much differently, as we know. Verse four is his longer response. Uh, But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labour? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous and you are stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You're no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw." But require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That's why they're crying out that let us go and sacrifice to our God and make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. What are we to think when things get harder? Not better. When we come to Christ and things actually get harder. What are we to think? Why is it that when a person turns to Christ, things actually don't get easier but more complicated? Are we being led by idiots who think that it's just easy? You walk to Pharaoh, you say, let us go, and Pharaoh says, let's go? Uh, if, if, if we're following the Lord of the universe, if that's, that's the message, isn't it? God is the God of the universe. He's all-powerful or knowing. Uh, he can, he's powerful over all things. Why does Christianity make things harder? When, you turn, when someone in a family turns to Jesus and becomes a Christian, it can cause a rift in the family, even if it's unspoken, even if it's just awkward that you're not going to come to Mother's Day lunch straight away because you've decided to come to church. Many examples like that. When you come to Christ and you realise that everyone in your church is actually hard to get along with. The Christian community isn't as beautiful and wonderful as you'd wished it was. The church is hard work. And sometimes you think, I'd rather not turn up today. I might just have a Sunday off. Because Christianity doesn't make things all smooth and easy. You realise that, uh, that we, we, we hear news in the church that people have contracted cancer, other things. Life doesn't get easier, it gets harder. And of course the most obvious thing is that when you become a Christian you do feel a weight in this society of not belonging here anymore. That The world is speaking at full volume in one direction and you're going in a different direction and you just don't fit anymore. Things get harder, not easier. And so we start to question things, don't we? Is Christianity worth it? Is it actually worth it? Does it work at all? Well, that's what Moses gets to in verse 22. Chapter 5, verse 22, Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord? Why have you brought trouble on this people? Is is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on his people, and you've not rescued your people at all. I wonder if you feel that weight, that, that question of Moses. Does Christianity really work? Well, let's... Let's just give up this hope and do as the Egyptians do. Let's just give up and do what the world does. But friends, Moses needed to go back and hear what the plan was. You see, we've just said that the plan failed, but that actually didn't fail. The plan went exactly as God had described. So we get to chapter 6, and the next point is is a re-explanation of the plan. The plan explained. The plan was always that Pharaoh would say no. Uh, If I go back to chapter 3, where God had spoken to Moses, chapter 3, verse 18, the elders of Israel will listen to you, and that's what happened. The elders of Israel listened to him. That was the plan. Tick. That happened. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Uh, Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. That was the plan. That was what they did. Tick. They did that. To-do list number three is ticked. But verse 19, but I know, says God, that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. That was the plan. Moses, perhaps, had lost track of the plan. He got a bit distracted by the reality that things got harder and not easier, and so he got downcast and thought, what is, is this actually going to work? But the plan was always that Pharaoh would say no. But again, I ask the question, why? Why not just let Israel go without the hardship? God could have done that, couldn't he? The plan is go to Pharaoh and say go, and God will soften Pharaoh's heart. And Pharaoh, Pharaoh was so great, and I'll come with you, I'll give up Egyptian, Egyptian worship and become a, a Hebrew. That'd be a great story, wouldn't it? There's a good gospel story right there. Why, in God's wisdom, would he make things harder and not easier? Come to Christ and live the good life. That would be a great gospel message, wouldn't it? If we could go out to King'swood and Cadens and all the area around us and say, "You know, come to, come to Jesus because he'll make, he, you'll, you'll have a Ferrari by the end of the week. It's awesome. The tax, the tax agent will never ask you for money again. You'll have that. How many? How full will our church be if that was the message? Why wouldn't God give us that? It's so that God could reveal to us who He is. It's so that God could teach us exactly who He is, and we will know who we are putting our faith in. So, as the story continues in chapter six. Uh, Moses it says, will see what I will do to Pharaoh, verse, chapter six, verse one, then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh, because of my mighty hand, He will let them go because of my mighty hand, He will drive them out of his country. You notice that it's not just what will happen, it's that Moses will see now you will see Moses. Uh, he's going to get a front row seat to watching Pharaoh go from hard-heartedness to driving out uh, Israel out of Egypt. Pharaoh would see and grow harder, that's what's going to happen, but eventually he will crack because God wins. God always wins. The point, though, is that Moses will see it. Moses is going to witness this. And then he turns to Israel. He's well. Uh, he explains that Israel will see it, and they will grow braver. Look at verse 6. Chapter 6, verse 6. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people. I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. See, stage one is to get out of Egypt. Stage two is to go across the wilderness. And stage three is to get into the promised land. In order to go across the wilderness and into the promised land, God is going to display to Egypt, to Israel his mighty arm and see that when they leave, it's not going to be with their own sword. It's going to, they're just going to walk out. In fact, we know when we, get, when we finally get to them leaving Egypt that they don't just leave, but the Egyptians give them money and they, 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 they leave richer than they, than they were when they were in Egypt. Then you will know. Yeah, we didn't just walk out because we. It was a nice day, a nice idea, and we wandered off for a picnic, and it was all easy. We left because God's powerful hand saved us. We left because He rescued us. Uh, Kirk mentioned this exit sign. By the way, if there's an emergency, please don't run to the front of the church. Uh, that is not an official exit sign. That's there as a as an image of our, as well as the, the little man running here. It's a reminder of what the Exodus is about. It's it's that e- Israel will go, will exit Egypt. But I love that little pun. A little pun is involved here. That it's not that we that that Israel will exit themselves. It's that God will exit them. It's not that we exit. It's that God will exit us. It's the Exodus. Do you see the pun? Keep it. There you go. That's what that's. It's quirky, but it works. Uh, then you will know. They are going to see that the God exits them. It's the gospel. And then you will trust me, verse verse 8, you will trust me because there's there's more danger ahead. But you'll have seen that I it did, it, it did it fine in Egypt and will do it fine again when you get to the promised land. Because that's, you need to see so that you can grow braver. You can understand. And finally, Egypt will know. In uh, chapter 7, just flick across to chapter 7, uh, verse 3. Uh, I'll harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, uh, the Israelites, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretched out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Uh, Egypt will be overwhelmed by the power of God such that they they as while they resist believing, eventually they'll understand that God has acted here, and uh, this is probably a sermon for another time. But I think that's what God does for for us in the church: that while we look weak and small and puny, eventually the world will see that God has worked through the church to bring His people to salvation. That's the plan that we that all will know that Yahweh has done it. And so finally, there's the plan explained. The plan in action, friends, actually looks a little weak at first. The plan, what it looks like initially, is two old men with a stick. That's that's the plan. That's the weaponry. Uh, Chapter 7, verse 7. Moses and Aaron... Did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old. Aaron, 83, when they spoke to Pharaoh. Friends, we're actually supposed to get a little image there of two old men. Of course, they lived for another 40 years. So you might think, well, they, they must have had, they drank their orange juice. But uh, they're, they're old. They're not young and sprightly and they've got a, a stick it's not even a all powerful stick it's a stick that Moses was using to herd sheep that's the weapon weaponry that Yahweh uses that's the image that Pharaoh sees two old blokes with a stick and uh you know we had the that genealogy which is uh, I'm not going to exp- take much time on that but I think that this is you notice that the genealogy begins with this is the this is Moses and Aaron and it gives all the names and it says, this is the Moses and Aaron, this, these very Moses and Aaron. It's like setting it in historic setting that this really happened and these old blokes are the ones who did it. God sent in two, two men in their stick. Look, let me just read to you and remind you what happened in, in chapter 7, 8 to 13. This is the reality. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, and it will, it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and, and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian uh, magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff, and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs, yet Pharaoh's heart became hard and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. It's, it's, I mean, it's an impressive display and yet it's not an impressive display at the same time because they, they do an amazing act, but the, the sorcerers, for some reason, are able to do it uh, as well. Now, there's a great um, punch line that Moses' snake wins in the end but, you know, God sent Moses and Aaron and Pharaoh sends pen and Teller. You know, if you know that, that, that show where you, you try to fool the magicians and the magician says, yeah, we know how to do that. It's not a, not a, not a difficult trick at all. Pharaoh wasn't impressed, uh, but he hasn't seen anything yet. God has only just got started. Friends, when we hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, what are we given? Pharaoh is given two old blokes with a stick and a, and a, and a party trick. When we are presented with the gospel of Jesus Christ, what, is, what are we given? Now, you know the answer to this. You're just waiting for me to say it for you. What, are we, what image are we given when, you, when, you, when you're told about Jesus? It's the cross, isn't it? We get the cross of Christ. It's, it's pathetic. Our saviour died, was put to death by the Romans at the, at the hand... Uh, By the hand of the Romans and by the the plotting of the Jews, we get the cross. We get a near-naked Jewish man dying on a cross. We don't get the staff, we get the wooden cross. The cross, friends, is our reference point. That's our reference point. Does Christianity work? Will Moses be able to save Israel from Egypt? We know the answer is yes. It will be from the power of God through his mighty hand. Do does Christianity work? Does the cross, our reference point work? Well, the plan may look lame, but of course it works. This is the beauty of the gospel. This is the beauty of the power of God. He works in the most unexpected ways. We see at the cross. Here's what we see at the cross, a couple of things. We see that God saved us, not that we save ourselves. Jesus at the in the night before he was betr- he uh, went to the cross, he cried out, "Lord, if there's any other way, let's try that." But there was no other way. It, the only way for us to be saved was through Jesus' death on the cross. If there was any other strength, power, shortcut, secret that we could do, then God would have explained that to us. But there's no other way. We see at the cross that that's how God saves. And no other way. We see that at the cross that that's how sin is dealt with. And it's paid for fully. So that's my second point. God, we see at the cross that sin is paid for fully. Jesus cried out at the cross, it is finished. So... Peculiarly, at the, when Moses speaks to Pharaoh, uh, it's a pathetic image, um, but the best is yet to come. When we look at the cross, it, we're not looking for the best yet to come. We see that God has, has done the most powerful thing right there and then. The work is actually already finished. So when we come to Christ, when we are told the gospel, we are told what happens at the cross, we're told that the work is all done. It's finished. It's finished. T- we see at the cross that, there's, that what God wants for us is not a better life but a resurrection, yeah, that, that Jesus hasn't come to, to just explain to us what, what life would look like if you follow through him, but that actually when, when Christ died at the cross, in the New Testament we're told that when Christ died, we die, and we die to this life, and what we're looking forward to is the resurrection, the next life. That's the image of the cross. At the cross we see God's only son, therefore it's God's only plan. And we see at the cross that God has already finished. It's already complete. Uh, Romans, Romans 1 was our New Testament reading, wasn't it? And it said that we're, we're not ashamed. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God Is the power of God for all who believe, and you might remember in one Corinthians chapter two, Paul said these words: one Corinthians, uh, one Corinthians chapter two. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the, the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness. With great fear and trembling, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We have the image of the cross that teaches us that God has already won. Does Christianity work? It, it doesn't work. It has already worked. Uh, the, the fight has been finished. Death has been conquered, and sin has been paid for. We now we now are prepared to leave this life both physically but also mentally and spiritually. We, we, we want to live this world as strangers here because this world has nothing for us anymore. It has nothing for us. We long for heaven, but while we wait, we will live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, I to wonder, wonder I wonder if if you if you believe that. I wonder if you believe that everything, everything is worth saying no to as long as we say yes to Jesus and to the cross of Christ. Uh, I want to just remind you that there's an invitation on Tuesday night to join me uh, to the Knowing Christ course.